beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. If you have ever been curious about my Secret Stuff membership over on Patreon, right now is the time to join because you can try it out free with a seven-day trial. That's right. You can join Secret Stuff for free for seven days to see if you like what's happening over there. We have monthly personal episodes, ad-free episodes of 10 Things to Tell You, plus bonus content from the show like we're going to have with today's episode. There's also a book club. There's Symposium, which is our monthly Zoom meeting to discuss a current event or a relevant topic. There is just tons to listen to and participate in over at Secret Stuff. The seven-day free trial for Secret Stuff is available to anyone at any time, but if you happen to be listening to this episode the week it comes out, now is an especially great time to sign up for the trial because we have our symposium meeting on Wednesday, September 20th, where the topic is tips and tricks to calm the craziness of the fall. And then we have our book club meeting next week to discuss On Our Best Behavior by Elise Lonen. That is next week on Wednesday, September 27th. So if you time your free trial right, you'll get to attend or hear the replays for those two awesome pieces of secret stuff. And you'll get a good sense of what it's like to be a secret stuffer. To join Secret Stuff or to try the seven-day free trial, go to lauratremaine.com slash secret stuff. I'm Laura Tremaine, and I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves, and the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. Each episode has a prompt or a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to a friend, or share on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. If you have listened to this show even one time, you probably know that my life's greatest passion is reading. Books are my lifeblood, and so you will not be surprised that I have been greatly alarmed by the rise of book bans in America in the last few years. The idea of banning books is so archaic to me. It is so outdated, so harmful. It's as if we have learned nothing from history. Because book bans are not a new idea. The earliest documented book bans or book burnings, they date back to 200 years before Christ, when the Chinese emperor ordered almost all books to be burned after a season of philosophical thought in China had flourished. And when nearly 500 scholars were found to have saved some of those books, he buried them alive. 2,000 years later, the Roman Catholic Church was responsible for the mass banning of books, becoming one of the biggest movements of censorship in history. The church burned English translations of the New Testament, believing it should only exist in Latin, and the church destroyed the manuscripts of Galileo and his theories on the solar system, among many, many others. 
Over time, various Shakespeare works have been banned because they depicted kings and queens in an unfavorable light. Darwin's Origin of the Species, which lays out the argument for evolution, even Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass has been hauled into court as indecent. Which brings us to a more modern history that we might be more familiar with, that is to say, when massive bonfires in Nazi Germany burned thousands of books written by authors like Albert Einstein, Sigmund Freud, Ernest Hemingway, Helen Keller, Jack London, Karl Marx, Upton Sinclair, many more. Freedom of thought and political freedom was not on the agenda, to put it mildly. But I think we hear some of these stories and they sound like ancient history. Some of them are, except some of them aren't. Here in the United States of America, where we are meant to value freedom above all else, we are in the midst of a culture war and book banning has become symbolic for our growing political divide. Here at home, there have been alarming strides in censorship. So banning a book begins with a challenge from a concerned citizen or often a parent and then progresses until the book is no longer available to any student or person in a school or library or district. The attempt to ban a book often starts with concern. According to PEN America, during the first half of the 2022-2023 school year, so last year, 1,477 instances of individual books were banned, affecting 874 unique titles, and that is an increase of 28% compared to the prior six months. Some of the most commonly banned books in America in 2023 include The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi, It's Perfectly Normal, Changing Bodies, Growing Up, Sex, and Sexual Health by Robbie Harris, This Book is Gay by Juno Dawson, 13 Reasons Why by Jay Asher, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, and The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. What's happening in 2023 with book bans is highly politically motivated, and it is not a ban across the entire country, which is one of the things that makes it different from these other historic examples. These are individual states and communities and schools that are taking books off the shelves, most often because of their content, their LGBTQ themes, gender identity topics, racial commentary, especially when these books are written for children and are accessible via the library. Now, the Patriot Act in 2001 gave the FBI power to collect information about the library borrowings of any U.S. citizen. Maybe that seems irrelevant now in a time when our phones track everything that we do or say or search, but the meaning here is clear. Some people think that books are something to be controlled. And so in this episode, I want to talk about what that looks like with an actual librarian fighting this fight in a state, Arkansas, that is one of the epicenters of this topic in America. Earlier this year, Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders signed Act 372 that would have exposed librarians and booksellers to criminal liability for making allegedly inappropriate or harmful books accessible to minors in the state. In July, a federal judge blocked that part of the bill, but this is all still part of the bigger conversation and controversy around banning books at the local level. So my guest today is a dear friend, writer and librarian, Emily Jones. She's going to tell us more about herself in the episode, but suffice it to say, this is one of the most important conversations I've had here on the show. Emily will share with us five things your librarian wants you to know about book banning. Emily, welcome to 10 Things to Tell You. Thank you for having me, Laura. I'm so excited to be here. Do you remember the first time that we sort of met or at least bonded was it at your lake house (laughs) no oh no apparently I don't that definitely was a time but the first time I remember like really having a good conversation with you or at least connecting with you was at a blog conference and we had gone to this session that I had kind of been excited about in advance. And it was a packed session, like a packed room. And you and I ended up sitting at the same table. We didn't know each other very well. Like I had read your blog at the time. We were kind of acquaintances, but I did not know you. And the session 
started to take a turn. <laughs> Was this the session started to be like, okay, everyone, get out your notebooks. I want you to imagine your funeral. <laughs> do you remember this? I do now. I was about to say, it was about death, wasn't it? And everyone was frantically <laughs> taking notes. And you and I made eye contact like, what is happening? <laughs> like, I was like, I thought we were going to learn some blog techniques. Like, I was literally like, oh, no. <laughs> no, this is like a psychological examination. And everyone else is just taking notes 90 miles an hour. And I did not pick up my pen. It's like, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> I think people were really, I mean, they were, they were feeling their feelings. They were in it. They were having a meaningful moment. And you and I were like, oh no, do we need to go get a snack? What do we do? Hard pass. Let's go find the Dr. Pepper. (laughs) And that I feel like was when we started to become friends. It was after that blog conference that we joined a like blogging group of women. This is an internet group of friends I have written about Mm -hmm. in both of my books. I've talked about a lot. It's a large group of women that we both became a part of that actually became truly a life-changing friendship time period for me that we're still in, like a a group of people that really changed my life. And that's when we went to the lake house. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, we started meeting at my lake house. Why I wanted to have you on the show is because we are dear friends And you actually create some of my favorite book-related content on Instagram. I love your your reels so much. Can you teach me how to do reels? Again, offline, please teach me how to do reels. so easy. Well, you're so good at it. (laughs) Thank you. But because you are a librarian in the year 2023 Mm – And you happen to be a librarian in Arkansas. You are caught dead in the middle of the book banning frenzy that has taken over America. And so we're going to talk today. You're going to share five things that your local librarian wants you to know Hmm. about book banning that I feel like we all need to know. This is a reading audience. We care about this topic. And you're the one that I want to speak to us about it. Can you give the listeners, just a sort of brief introduction to who you are. Sure. My name is Emily Jones, former blogger, was an elementary teacher for about 15 years, switched to the public library world. Who who would have known that that was going to be a controversial choice? <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. And I have been at the public library in my city for almost four years. I have degrees in education and a master's degree in uh, library science. So I know a thing or two about books for kids. I'm also a wife and a mom to a teenage boy. So I have kids of my own. And so I do this 40 hours a week. It's something I love and love to talk about. Okay, so at the beginning of this episode, I gave a sort of a brief history of book banning, which has a long, which has a long history, actually, not just in America, of course. But I kind of wonder, do you have thoughts of like how we came to this exact area? Now, listen, you and I are not political experts by any means, but there have been some things that I feel like have led to this current frenzy? Is it just like the general divisiveness? Do you think it's fear of the world changing, of the way that we talk about gender, sexuality, identity? Like what what is happening? I think you're right about all of that. We are just now in a culture where both sides of any political argument tend to use language and descriptions that are just intended to divide us and polarize us completely. There's no middle ground. And they word things in such a way that makes it really confusing as as a layperson, as a parent, maybe as somebody that is not very knowledgeable about book publishing or acquisitions to a library. Some of these articles that you read could make you feel afraid of what your child might be exposed to. And that's a valid fear, right? We don't want our children to be harmed. None of us do, of course. But I think that if we could just all sit down and have a really calm conversation about this, most of us would land much closer together than than people think. 
most of the time when a parent or an adult comes to us in person at the library, comes to us and says, I found this book and I don't like it. I don't think it should be on the shelf for X reasons. Nine times out of 10, after we talk to them and explain why it would be there and why there might be other books that would be a better fit for them, but who that book is for, most of the time they say, oh, I didn't think about it that way. And we're able to move on. And we didn't make them like that book or want that book for themselves, but they walked away understanding why it's possible that there was a good reason why it was available. Okay. I agree that I do think that there is like more common ground here than either side wants you to believe because I don't think that this is a both sides issue. Actually, I am without question against book banning, full stop. So I want to make that clear. But I do think that both sides engage in painting the other one as hysterical Mm -hmm. and bringing out like the craziest examples all the time Mm -hmm. that I don't feel like is contributing to the conversation in any kind of a, a productive manner. I also think I don't understand in with book banning in general why whatever choice you're making for your family or your child or your own eyes a lot of people you know care about even what everybody's reading mm-hmm. why you feel like that that applies to everyone else like why that thing shouldn't exist period it feels like this is the weird part of the book banning controversy that I don't understand. Like, why do you think that that shouldn't be available? Why do you just make the choice to not engage with it? And if you're talking about your children where you don't want your children to have access where, you know, you don't you don't know about it, for example, mm-hmm. that's a thing that abounds. That's a conversation I think a little bit about supervision or privacy or talking to your kids about whatever they come across that might not match your values or how you want to talk about things online, in anywhere, in a store, in the world. Why does it have to be like eliminated from all public access? This is That is actually one of the crux of why I don't understand book banning of like, I I agree with you, not you, Emily, but like with the person that's like, I don't want my kids seeing this or something like that. This isn't what I want on my shelf. Right. Then I'm like, okay, I, so don't. that's so valid. Yeah. So don't. Right. Why does that mean that has to be like burned in a fire pit? That's sort of the mysterious part of this, barring the extreme examples you've seen, right? There are some things that are illegal to show to children, right? But that's not mostly what we're talking about. We're talking about things that people just don't want to choose for their own children. We're, we're jumping ahead in my notes here, but the, the good news is that you don't have to. Right. And I mean, I also feel like in my own personal experience, like I am maybe a little extra sensitive to this, not only as a lifelong reader and someone who cares super extra about books and reading and access to information. But I'm also married to someone who makes very, very R-rated movies Mm. and has had the same sliver of conversation around like, no one has tried to ban Jackass, Mm -hmm. but of like, why is this a thing that is made? Why is this a thing that- It shouldn't exist. Yeah, it shouldn't exist. You know, I don't want my kid watching this or whatever. And like, okay, well, it's not for- your family or your you. eyes or your, yeah, but it is, you know, serving somebody who likes it. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free. It is also pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. 
Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, Dot com and use code U, Y-O-U. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. So what we're going to do in this conversation is you are going to share the five things that your librarian wants you to know about the spoke banning conversation. And then we're also, for funsies, because I love talking about books with you, we're going to talk about some of the best books that we have read lately so that we end this conversation that can get me very <laughs> fired up. We ended on a happy and joyful note. Love that. Okay. What's the first thing that you want us to know as the general public, as non-librarians? Okay. The first thing I want to talk about is the nuance between what's available at your public library and what is required reading at school or, or anywhere that's required reading. It's pretty self-explanatory, but while... A teacher does need to take some care in what they require students to read. Books that are simply available on the shelf should and are of a much wider appeal, right? I order for, on the low end, 80,000 people in my city. On the high end, my area that uses the library is closer to 600,000. Wow. So, right, So that's a lot of people. And I cannot possibly order books that will appeal to everyone. There is a really good chance that you're going to come in and find a book that is not of interest to you personally. And just available on the shelf is not the same thing as being required. I think, like we were saying before, people have lost touch a little bit with this idea that they, they don't have to engage with anything they don't want to engage with. It is perfectly valid for you to choose based on your own ideals and values for yourself and your children. But we don't get to choose what is simply available on the library shelf. Yeah. Like it seems so obvious. It does. But it does get lost in the conversation of something that's available or like we were saying, something that's just been created or made. There are so many things in the world that are created or made. They're not for me, not for my family, but they still have the right to exist in the world. Even, you know, is the, is the conversation then because it's a library, like a publicly funded, a taxpayer funded institution versus like if it's available in a bookstore, which is a privately held institution. Is that part of the argument? I I suppose I think that another idea I have heard is that since this section of the library is advertised as you know this is the children's section every that your child should not come across a book that you might find personally offensive but that really doesn't make any sense when we talk about the size of the community and honestly even small towns that doesn't make sense You do not release your parental rights or responsibilities when you walk into a public building. It has not been tailor-made for you or your family. And typically, when I can have these conversations with someone in person, a lot of times they have found a book that skews liberal, we'll say. But when we bring up the point that I also have religious materials, I have Christmas books that cover the nativity scene, I have Bible stories, And there are certainly people in our community who would have a strong stance against having books that cover religion in any way in a public library. But we have those too, right? Those people need to walk by those Bible stories and say, that's not for me or my family. 
I don't want my kids to read that. That's also a perfectly valid point of view, right? So I think we want every single space to be safe according to our own definition for our children. And that's just not the way the world works. And like you said earlier, my other point here is if you have a child that has access to the internet or a smartphone in any capacity, the library is not where they're finding obscene materials. Mm -hmm. Library books are not their source. Right. And I mean, every library I've ever been to my whole life has so many thousands of books on the shelf. I mean, it's just like libraries are are in some ways more overwhelming in terms of quantity than any bookstore I've ever been in. Like, there's way more books in a library. So is the fear that your child is going to accidentally stumble upon one of these books? It's also not all children's books. I know we're talking about that because it does feel like a lot of the hysteria is aimed at children's books. And some of the very extreme examples have been these children's books. But like some of the books that are being banned are squarely young adult books, like meant for teenagers and things like that. So this does go to the argument of if you think that your teenager is finding harmful material in literature, then you, you've you definitely lost the thread on what they have access to on their phone. Yes. And that is actually point number two on my list is that there is a wide gulf between young children's materials and teen materials. But most of these conversations and the legislation that is being passed talks about them all under the umbrella of available for people under 18. And a book that might very well be obscene for a four-year-old, probably isn't or possibly isn't for a 17-year-old. And I think we can all reach that logical conclusion, right? Oh, yeah, a sex education manual in the hands of a 17-year-old, probably useful, quite a bit less shocking. In a picture book bin where a four-year-old might stumble upon it, yeah, no, that's gross. Nobody wants that. But I would like to put out there that I don't think that's happening. I don't think it is. I think it's available, usually available for the the age it was intended for. Mm -hmm. And you can still choose not to let your teenager read it if you don't want them to. But again, that's your choice. We've provided age-appropriate materials, and now you get to decide what you and your family will do with those. And why is the emphasis so strongly right now on books when like there's tons of music in my Apple Music app or my Spotify app that I wouldn't want my toddler to listen to, but that my 14-year-old daughter loves and my 50-something-year-old husband really loves? (laughs) Definitely not appropriate music for children. Same with when we open Netflix. And I understand that when you have streaming apps, a lot of times there's like the kids section and then, you know, you can have like the Mm -hmm. sort of different sections within those streaming apps. But it's the same argument of like they are available in their appropriate areas for, you know, that you could watch movies, TV shows, songs that are not appropriate for children, little children, but that are, again, still created and available for those who want to engage with them. And I know that there's there have there has been hysteria around music with harsh lyrics and that kind of thing. It's not that that conversation never has has come up. But the hysteria around books right now, I think one of the reasons that I find it to be baffling that this is happening and it seems so political and not actually like rooted in facts is because all of these other things we're talking about feel like they have more potential for harm or Mm -hmm. influence than books. Obviously, I'm very pro-book just in general. Like, Of course, me too. Yeah. So like, I'm like, but books? Books is what we're going after? But teens? Yeah. No, we're, we're desperately trying to talk them into reading a book. Exactly. And as a teen, and actually prior to my teen years even, but definitely as a teen, books taught me so much about life that I wasn't getting in the real world yet or, you know, even, obviously I grew up without smartphones, but like I I was learning from books about 
love and you know, all kinds of things opened my mind. It gave me compassion from my tiny town in Oklahoma. It gave me a window to the world, all different kinds of experiences. I've talked before about my favorite book when I was a child was starring Sally J. Friedman as herself by Judy Bloom, which is about a young Jewish girl. Well, in Oklahoma, small town Oklahoma, I didn't know anyone who was Jewish. It was eye-opening to me to read about a different religion. It was really important to like how I saw the world. And I wonder if that's the other problem of it's this conversation. They try to make it about like graphic illustrations. And sometimes I think that we don't want to have windows to the world, that books do open our eyes and will help us all sort of see things. And we don't always maybe want that. We don't want that to be available. We don't want that to be available. But how many teenagers, I have a 14-year-old, he's in ninth grade. He is on Instagram and TikTok. And most of his friends are as well. We could debate whether or not we should. We are, is what's happening. And when you look at the content that they can come across there, and and you mentioned music. Sure, people have complained about any of those things. But are musicians or content creators having legislation aimed their way about making those things felonies? No, And it's so much more pervasive than any book that might have an illustration that you don't like. So it is a puzzle to me as well when it seems like there are other directions this hysteria could go and maybe should go more appropriately. Yeah, I still don't get it. I'm just going to remain baffled throughout this conversation that I don't know if people feel like the other industries are too much to take on. That the book industry, that readers, that libraries are an easier political target because make no mistake, so much of this is is political. And financial at- because libraries don't have a lot of money to, to fight these things. Mm. You know, big, important, popular musicians who are millionaires have the legal team and the right connections to shut some of that down and publicly funded libraries are an easier target. Right. And y'all are in sort of the the fight for your vocation right now. Like they are trying to make it. Yes. In Arkansas, where you are, but you know, this is going to bleed over to other states. They're trying to make it a felony to what have these books in the library to offer these books up. What's the felony? So this is a it's a complicated piece of legislation, and it did reach a pause, basically. It did not become law in Arkansas on August 1st as it was slated to be. It's now deep in the mires of our uh, judicial system, we shall see. It made it a felony for a librarian to provide a book that had been deemed obscene to someone under 18. Wait, does provide a book mean on the shelf or like check it out to them? Right. So it it gets very complicated in this legislation. So let's say a book, a parent or other patron has a problem with a book. They take it to, there's these steps that you go to, go through, excuse me, to, to basically say, I don't like this book. Please reconsider these materials. That's usually what it's called. Reconsideration of materials, which side line here, this almost certainly already exists in your public library. This is a a process we had before the law was put into place. Oh, you mean that before all this hysteria, you could challenge the presence of a book in the library? Yes. And I stand by the right of a patron to do so. If you come across a material in your library that you think is shelved incorrectly or whatever, it is absolutely your right to to ask us to reconsider that. That's fine and good. Mm -hmm. But this legislation added a lot of things onto that, one of which was that elected officials would be the ones to decide whether or not the book was obscene instead of the council of librarians. It would go to politically elected officials. And, Mm. And then if they decided the book was indeed obscene, it would go to a locked area that you had to show your ID to access. In 
our library building somewhere. We would have to create an extra space that was labeled obscene and you had to show your ID to get to it. So it would only become a felony, right? If you as a librarian were like, no, I'm going to let whoever wants to check this book out, then you could be held liable for that. So there were a few steps in between, you know, me and jail, but (laughs) I'd like to keep plenty. It complicated a process that already existed. It took the decision-making power from people with the training and education to make those choices and placed it in the hands of people that don't have any of that, right? Like even our mayor, who is a seems like a great guy, right? He doesn't have experience with children's books. He doesn't have a master's degree in library science, but our council of librarians does. And so that group of people are the ones who should have decision-making power, right? Right. And who are not like looking forward to the next election cycle as they make these decisions. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Okay. What's number three? Are we, to, are we on number three of your list? Yes. So after we talked about, you know, there's a difference between teen and children's materials, there still is a very high unlikelihood that you are going to find actual obscene materials anywhere in the children's section, teen or, or for young children. And here is why. Obscene materials are things like true pornography, right? Like they have one purpose and one purpose only. And that's already illegal to have that available for anyone under 18. Books that have content that you may or may not agree with, it doesn't automatically make it obscene even if it includes sexual descriptions or, or diagrams of the human body, right? We have to take into account, of course, the age it's intended for. But a, a thing is not obscene just because it includes some of those items. Is that, does that make sense? Like, is this, is this point subjective a little bit, though? Because one person's beautiful, intimate scene is another person's pornography. So, you know, is is this part of that conversation of like, well, I don't think there should be anything about like any, any sort of sexual acts in a young adult book, in a, in a book that's aimed for teenagers, if that is a, a belief that you ha- hold, then you, you can't even see that as as material or content, you see that as explicit, I suppose is what I'm saying. So there's a, it feels like there would be a sliding scale here, although I'm saying this is a person's opinion. Right. But this is where I think this gets sticky, I guess. It does get sticky, but here's, I think maybe understanding the process of how I, I or other collection developers choose books. I think maybe this might, might help people to understand this a little bit better because of course it, it it's subjective when you're talking about what I think about certain books or certain topics. Books that you can find on on Amazon and other like self-publishing type platforms, I have seen some cuckoo banana stuff that is aimed at children, right? It's a lot of the things you see in these articles. But that's not where I'm buying books for the library. I use professional catalogs that sell books for these types of purposes. These books have all been published by major book retailers, right? So a lot of professional eyes have made it on this manuscript before it ever hit the shelf to be for sale. And then after that, I'm also only buying books that have some sort of at least neutral to positive professional review. A few of the review sources we use are Kirkus, Booklist, School Library Journal. There are more, but These are professional companies that review books. They tell you the type of content, what age group they recommend it for, and why they do or do not recommend it. So this book has made it through a lot of hurdles before I even consider buying it for the library. I'm not picking up random stuff off of Amazon that someone recommended, right? If somebody recommends a book and wants it, I do a deep dive on things that don't 
come with professional reviews. It's not an automatic no, but it has to pass some rigorous testing before I'm willing to add it to the collection. So while some of these books may be controversial, they have passed a lot of tests that say this book is for 14 to 18 year olds or whatever the case may be. And again, it's okay if you still don't agree with all those reviewers, right? But I'm not sure if people picture me just saying like, I saw that on TikTok and the kids seem to like it. So add to cart. It's a pretty rigorous process for how books get published in the first place for children. And then even further than that, how I would choose it for a library. I need people to understand. I have almost 20 years experience with children and books in several degrees. I am an expert on this topic. I might not choose everything like you would choose, but I am the right person to make this choice for the the area, the whole area that, that lives here. And a lot of the people that are complaining online are not. They do not have mm-hmm. the training to make this choice. Another example, maybe to, to help people fully understand this, there was a picture book that passed all of those all of those tests. It's probably going to win some awards. It's called The Bathhouse, and it's a beautiful book about, it's fiction, but it's based on the author's real-life experience visiting her grandmother in Japan. And we've had some conversations about bathhouse experiences, right? Do you know, like Korean spa type situations? Okay. Yeah. So yes, the, the book is about visiting a bathhouse in Japan. She goes with her grandmother and it's segregated by gender. So it's all women in this book, but it is a very realistic set of illustrations about visiting a bathhouse. Now, it is not what I would deem explicit in any way. It's, it's very soft illustrations, but it shows what women, nude women would look like in a bathhouse, right? Of all ages, sizes. It's really cool. It's a cool book. But when it came in, we sat around in my office and looked at this book and said, if I put this in the bins with all the other picture books, someone is going to come across it and be deeply offended. Because in American culture, that's not the norm. That's not a thing that most kids see all the time. And while I think it's cool and beautiful and kids should see it because let's normalize real bodies and all those great things, the potential for offense was there in a way that is not in a lot of other books. I don't move every single book that could potentially offend. But this one we decided instead to house in juvenile nonfiction with other books about Japan because this book needed to be available for the people that want it. And it's a good book. It's a really good book. But it's not the best book for the general public to just accidentally pick up without a little prior background knowledge. And and that's not a decision every library would make. I'm not saying that it was right or wrong. I'm just telling you that that's the level of care that we take with the books that come in. When I told my husband that story, he said, oh, you really look at all the books that you order like that? Yeah. <laughs> you were like, yes, sir. It's called a job. It's called- <laughs> That's what they pay me for. Yes. You know, I, I, to be fair, I order tens of thousands of dollars worth of picture books and juvenile fiction. And I do not deeply read every, every book that crosses my desk. I, I would not have time to do that. But yes, every book is vetted before it goes on the shelf. Okay, so what I love about that story is not just the care that you put into, you know, sort of acknowledging like, look, this is this does have the potential of someone stumbling across it that is is not ready. And so we're going to put it in a place where someone who's like truly looking for like research about Japan or whatever, this feels the more more of the type of person who might find this book beautiful and interesting. Mm-hmm. What I especially love about the story is it goes to the thing that irks me all the way off in this biggest conversation about librarians and teachers. I feel like this teachers fall into this category as well, that you are not trying to trick children or the public into 
finding or reading these materials. It really drives me nuts that there's so much national conversation about teachers and librarians that they are like trying to trick the nation's children. It is so infuriating to me. And it comes from the same source of, you know, all doctors were trying to trick us during COVID also. Like, this is not a real thing. There is not this type of conspiracy. I know so many, I know so many teachers. In fact, I know so many teachers who are leaving the profession for this very reason. You, you raised your hand because you're vilified for teaching children, for having a, a broad range of materials available materials or encouraging open thought or it's just not there's always going to be some exception that someone can point to Mm -hmm. there is always going to be some villainous doctor teacher corporate executive like i don't know there's always going to be some sort of villain that everyone can point to that they did this once Right. Is there a a crazy librarian that put porn in the picture book bins? Maybe, but. I haven't even heard that, but I mean. I doubt it, but I mean, look, there are crazy people, right? And if someone did that, that needs to be handled appropriately. But the idea that this is happening pervasively is, it's just not true. I shared a, a reel today about like, how the government sees children's librarians. And then there's a picture of me at baby story time, reading a farm book with bubbles in the background. Like that's what's really happening in the children's section. You guys, it, it isn't as scary. And that's my next point is that a lot of these terrible stories that you see have been slanted in such a way to at least misguide you, if not completely misinform you. And if you're getting your information about these topics, libraries and books in particular, if you're getting all of your information from social media, I need you to stop it. (laughs) I need you to go ask someone that works in a school or library. If you're concerned about the school or library in your area, go down there and talk to somebody. Get your information from the right sources because I have done some digging for people who will message me. Most of them are are my parents' age. I saw this and they'll send me a link to an Instagram or a a YouTube video. And so, so often I'm able to tell them with very little digging that, oh, this is not not at all what they made it seem like. I have lots of examples, but I'm not a super sleuth. It took me maybe three minutes to debunk this story. So I I just want to encourage people to, if you see a story that you're like, this seems unreal, let that sink in and then maybe do a quick Google. And then I think most of the time you're going to be like, oh, because it was actually not real. So that's your point number four that like about where to find your information, that there's a lot of inflammatory information out there that's meant to make you feel like the children's section is triple X rated now at all places. Do the people who send you the I saw this link, this is a bit of a tangent, but I am very curious, your parents' friends or or whatever, are they saying, is the spirit behind them sending you that link? Is the spirit, Emily, help me understand why this is in the library? Or is the spirit, see, Emily, there is bad stuff coming for our children? Maybe a little bit of both, but I would like to assign mostly positive intent. And I have had a lot of very positive interactions this way. I think they have seen me post things disparaging book banning. So they'll say, but look what I saw. And I would hope, and I'm going to assign this intent, that it's because they are worried about children being exposed to something bad. I hope that that is mostly their intent. And, And they just automatically believe that if they saw it on a video somewhere, it must be true. One very short example, there was a guy in Florida, of course, uh, talking to, it's always a Florida man, right? But he's talking to a school board. And the clip is only of him saying, my name is blah blah the title of the book, and he starts reading. And it is an explicit description of 
of sexual assault. It, it's awful when he reads it. And, and he says, this was available for our kids in our, our school district. And this was one that was sent to me. So I do some digging because the, the paragraph that he reads is quite shocking. Even as an adult, it was hard to listen to. So I start doing some digging. This is a memoir written by a woman, and it's squarely in an adult category. It was written for adults about her own experience. And when I looked into it further, it was available in a nonfiction section of a high school. And we can still agree or disagree about whether or not you want your own children to read it, right? But I think we can all acknowledge, even if it's sadly, that teenage girls might have an experience like that. And having mm-hmm. access to a book that makes them feel seen and by a person that has gone on to have a successful life is powerful. For the right teenage girl, it could be exactly what they need. And I don't mm-hmm. like that, right? I don't like that there might be a teenage girl or boy that needs that. But it is a very different conversation, right, than, than my seven-year-old read this in their school library. That's not Mm -hmm. what was happening. And Mm -hmm. the person who shared that, maybe they thought they were doing something good, but they didn't give enough information. When you see a story that doesn't have any context, find the context because it matters. Yeah. Yeah. The context matters also relative to the times that we're living in. So just this week, I read an article, I think it was on Slate, so it wasn't, you know, like a weird a, a weird site or whatever, about a book, a controversial book that had given the author of the article pause and gave me pause. It showed pictures. This was like a birds and the bees type mm-hmm. of book that was written for children. It was an illustrated book and had content that made me uncomfortable. Now, having content that made me uncomfortable does not immediately equate that it should be banned from the world. Right. But it did make me uncomfortable and it gave me pause. Like I was like, do I want this on the on the public library shelf? Like I had to really ask myself. And this is a modern book written in the last few years and it was awkward. And then I suddenly remembered that in the early 80s, my parents had a birds and the bees type book. <laughs> Aimed at children. Like, it was for me. I remember it. It was probably written in the 70s, actually, because I have older siblings, and I think this book had been in our house for a long time. And it also had illustrations of nude bodies, and it was, you know, it was uh, explaining where babies came from mm-hmm. or whatever. I can picture this book now and realize that it was, you know, it was written in the style of the 70s. Like, it was a certain... The information and the illustrations were presented in a certain in a certain way. Very particular genre. <laughs> the seventies. <70s>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The seventies where babies came from book is different than a twenty twenties book that is trying to achieve the same purpose. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm saying that because it can it, you know, we have to look at the times that we're in. We have to look at how people are presenting or receiving information that there's generational divides here. Even I'm in my 40s. Like that's midlife. People who are, you know, our parents' age or older, they're going to have different feelings about how this information should be presented or if it should be available at all. People 20 years younger than us are going to have different thoughts. Like it's not that they're, we can't disagree on it or feel uncomfortable about it or like question or have it give us pause or have these conversations about individual books. But on the whole, this is hysteria. Yes, absolutely. And what you just said leads perfectly into point five. And that is, I hear all the time, Emily, but certainly there are some things that we can all agree on. LOL. No, (laughs) no, there aren't. (laughs) And the things that we actually all agree on are already illegal, (laughs) right? But all of these conversations that surround families religion, LGBTQ+, environmental concerns, personal rights of every sort that you can think of. No, there is no way that there is something that we all agree on. 
I'm not sure that was ever true, honestly, but it is certainly not true in 2023, not even in Arkansas, right? And trying to assume that because others have chosen something else, that you have a say in that, or that because your values don't align with someone else's, that you get to make choices for their families. Even that Birds and the Bees book that you're talking about from the 70s, I imagine there were people at that time that thought that that was scandalous and Mm -hmm. ridiculous that anyone would want to actually tell their children where babies came from for real. And the same is true today. Every book that has made someone feel uncomfortable. And here's a little, here's a little secret. There are some books that make me uncomfortable as a librarian, but I'm like, I wouldn't choose that. For every book like that, there are parents who love their children who do choose that, who actively want that resource for their children. And it's not our place to decide that for them, just like it's not their place to decide that for ourselves or our children. Mm-hmm. And that's why earlier I mentioned your library already has a process for this. It is, it's your right and your responsibility, like be actively engaged as much as you deem in your own children's reading life. I, I encourage that. Be proactive, right? Like these, none of these things are bad. Questioning books is not bad. I also do not think that moving a book to a different collection is the same thing as banning a book. It's not. Occasionally, librarians make mistakes or, or something was just misshelved on accident. And there is a book that once we take a really good look at it, oh, you know what? This actually did belong in adult nonfiction or, or whatever the case may be. That happens. Mm-hmm. And that's not the same thing as book banning, right? To bring up a point of, hey, this is really heavy and I looked it up and, I, you know, I, I feel like it belongs in adult instead is a perfectly valid conversation to have. It's just when we start saying things like, this shouldn't exist, that we really mm-hmm. need to pause and reflect on, on what kinds of rights I think we ultimately want to have. Because I think people at the heart of this think what they're doing is protecting children. And what they're actually doing is giving the government the right to parent their, their child in their stead. And I know a lot of conservative and liberal people who, I hope that hits you square square in the chest. Nobody wants that. I do not want the U.S. government to tell me how I can parent my child. Hard pass on that. And I think most of us land there. Do not give your parental responsibility and right to your local government to choose what they can and cannot read. That's your job. Yes. That's your job. All the snaps. I'm applauding you. I'm giving you a standing (laughs) ovation for that. And I don't know if this is also a a point of confusion, but when a child has a library card, their parent or or other adult has signed for them and has access to all of their reading history. So if you choose to send your kid in by themselves and let them have free reign to check out whatever they want, that's fine. That's, That's your choice. But but you have access to that. You've signed that you're giving permission. I'm not, as the librarian, giving that 10-year-old permission to check out whatever they chose. You already gave them permission. Mm -hmm. So if your values or concerns are such with your child, and and I'm not saying that in a disparaging way, right? Oh, yeah. No, I had complete free reign at 10 in the library. So did I. Stephen King. Yeah. I've always talked about how I read Stephen King. There are some very graphic passages in Stephen King, obviously, in what I was reading. And that's for sure colors the way that I view this conversation. Mm -hmm. And also, I wasn't restricted in what I read, and I don't restrict what my kids read. But that's a choice. But that's a choice. It's your choice. And it's totally valid. There could be good reasons why a parent goes a very different route though, right? That's the part I didn't want to disparage because I'm the same way. My very conservative parents didn't know that they were giving me free range 
because I didn't bring home every book that I read in the library, but they dropped me off there and I read for hours by myself. So I also gave myself quite the education at the Baxter County Public Library. But but hold on. Do you think that's what people fear? Exactly what you're saying. But it, what happened to us is they want to be able to drop their kids off and material that that doesn't align with their values shouldn't be available. I mean, I, it's absurd to think that your own family values has to right. like, be assigned to the whole community. But I mean, is that what the fe- is that one of the fears? Probably. But I mean, I did say that in somewhat of a joking way, but but also not like my parents can laugh about it now. But they made that choice, right? They knew that other things were available in the library. So they they took the risk and they decided that was fine because in 1994, that's how you parented. But I, I suppose that is the fear uh, that, that parents want it to be a, a scenario where I could drop my 10-year-old off and they will. there is no chance that they will stumble across something I personally don't want them to read. And I guess that's kind of what I meant earlier is like, that's not a reasonable thing for you to assume. I have no problem with you doing it. If you choose that, cool. I too am a free range, uncensoring parent. But I also understand that for a myriad of reasons, your child of any age might require a lot more intervention. There's a million reasons, you know, your child's emotional needs might be such that they need your guiding hand, right? Mm -hmm. If that's your kid, then then yeah, you need to be the one with them, helping them pick out materials. It's just not reasonable to assume that free range is the the goal for a public library. Yeah, is the standard. Right. You know, right. Okay, this was amazing. Do you have anything else you want to say before we talk about what we're reading lately? Ultimately, librarians are not creepy pervs trying to give your kids materials you don't want them to have. You know, we're just mostly like kind of nerdy, overeducated, underpaid, book obsessed people who who want to help your kids read more. Yeah. <laughs> give us the benefit of the doubt. Maybe come check it out for yourself. Yeah. I hate making librarians villains i just i won't stand for it it's so crazy to me silly me i thought leaving the teaching profession to go to a library was like safe choice i didn't realize i was jumping out of the frying pan into the fire into the literal supreme court fire yeah (laughs) welcome i think i i would be voted most likely of my friends of our friend group Least likely to end up in a Supreme Court case, but here we are. I know, but you know what? As a friend, I do want to say this part, that I've been proud of you for Mm. that you've taken such a a public stand in this way. It is so hard to take any kind of stand. I mean, I wouldn't – it's hard to say the sky is blue without someone being like, well, actually, (laughs) the sunlight is a refraction of the – what I – you know, I mean, like, whatever. You cannot say anything without someone – coming for you and you have bravely taken this stand and I'm very proud of you. I'm really glad that you came to talk to us about it today because while I am against book banning, full stop, want to be clear about it. I haven't engaged a conversation with a librarian about it. I haven't talked to even a local bookseller Mm -hmm. or, you know, I I haven't. I've read the stuff. I've seen the inflammatory things on the internet but this was my first conversation about something that I actually do care about. And so I hope that this helps other people who also care about this to sort of be a stand-in conversation that's not a crazy meme Sure, that's going to div- further divide this issue. These people listening, probably most of them don't know me. So if nothing else, I hope this inspires you to go talk to the people in your community that do this on a daily basis. And, and get the story straight from a source that you know and trust. Yeah. That's our reading roundup and book banning talk mm-hmm. with librarian Emily Jones. <laughs> I love that you came and had this conversation with me. Thank you for doing it, my friend. Thank you for inviting me. You know, it's something that we talk about all the time where I work. So it's fun to get to chat about it and hopefully 
inspire people to just ask more questions and maybe go visit their public library. Where can listeners go follow you so they can watch your funny book reels that I love? Okay. So my Instagram account is actually Emily Greenslade Books, G-R-E-N-S-L-A-D-E. And that's where I post most of my book content. I am also on TikTok under the same name, but I don't post there very often because I'm old and I haven't figured it out. <laughs> same. I will link to that in the show notes for okay. sure and, and tag you on social so people can go see you yeah. there. I love it so much. Thanks for being here, friend. Thank you. Emily and I went on recording because we couldn't stop talking. We shared with one another some of our favorite books of the summer, including one of the buzziest books of the year and also a novel that reads like the juiciest memoir. You can listen to that part of the conversation over on Patreon. And reminder, you can now sign up for a seven-day free trial to see what the Secret Stuff community is all about. Just go to lauratremaine.com slash secret stuff to sign up. You've just listened to an episode of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. For show notes and links, go to 10thingstotellyou.com. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. And you can also join our free connection group on Facebook to discuss episodes and topics. For bonus content, ad-free episodes, and monthly Zoom gatherings with me, join my Secret Stuff Patreon community by going to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret stuff. Thanks for listening. 